Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Beethoven's birthday, as fans of Peanuts remember uh, with great uh, with great nostalgia. December sixteenth, twenty twenty two. Linus, of course, having the annual Beethoven's birthday <laughs> parties and celebrations and and all of that. Uh, with I'm John Bodhoritz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So two unrelated uh, incidents uh, yesterday or unrelated matters yesterday that nonetheless are related culturally, politically, and sociologically uh, in the morning after teasing uh, a major announcement uh, for 24 hours uh, with a bizarre meme cartoon photograph of himself with glowing red eyes standing in front of Trump Tower, as as, as Abe said, I think Abe said, like Homelander on the show uh, The Boys, um, which, by the way, is on... Uh, Amazon is an ultra-violent and incredibly dirty superhero satire series that if you can take the ultra-violence and the filthiness is fantastic viewing recommendation for you. But again, with very, very serious caveats here. Homelander being a character on, on The Boys. Trump looking like Homelander. Announcing a major announcement. And then it turns out that he's selling non-fungible tokens for $99 or you can, you can like, you can bid for them. I can't, I, I can't, didn't even quite follow the whole story. First of all, I thought NFTs were sort of done. I, I had this sense, maybe, I, I don't know why, but I mean that like a, there was some point like a year ago or like nine months ago or something like that, where people were like, what is, this is crazy. We're buying. You're right. Okay, I mean, you're right. I... They're done, and you have no better indication than Donald Trump jumping on this absolute con after it was already obviously a con. But I mean, he's jumping on it, which means we say it's a con, and this then gets the whole point that we were saying about about uh, Sam Bankman Fried um, and the crypto business that he ran and other crypto businesses. You know convincing people of modest means that they should participate in the in the crypto bubble um well, if, two if nfts are done but if, if tw- nfts are done and they are not a good investment vehicle donald trump selling them to his following which of course as we know is disproportionately um non-college educated males is you know a moral hazard right I guess we have to kind of explain what an NFT is because they're hard to understand. I barely understand them myself, but insofar as I do understand them, they're pieces of art that you can own. Now you say, wait a minute, this piece of art is posted online. How do I own it? You can screen grab this and then you own it too, don't you? No, you own a digital indicator. The metadata of this particular piece of art is yours. And then you can sell the metadata to somebody else. There was this brief moment when every celebrity was hawking their NFTs around this this character, this bored ape character, and they looked about as bored as the character, trying to drive up the value of this thing, because the only value in it is the value that you place in it. It's and like so a digital was, beanie baby. Remember the beanie it's baby? It's exactly place? like a digital beanie baby. But this is more about. <laughs> but Trump's is a twofold con here because it's you buy this picture of Donald Trump, which is Trump in a cowboy hat, Trump as an astronaut, Trump as a golfer. Trump as a football player, but also once you purchase that, you get the the total value of all these prizes that are available, by the way, is something like $56,000. But there's more value in it because you can get a a Zoom call with Trump. Uh, You can spend a night in Mar-a-Lago if you pay your freight to get there. And there's a lot of you can have dinner with him. The the pictures look like, I'm 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 reminded of um, 
the Tony Soprano painting with his horse where he's dressed up in yeah. like a con- continental soldier's <laughs> office, like, like uniform. And just that's what it looks like. It's just I, I actually it thought... onto him and doesn't really work. But it's the prizes that it's supposed to draw you into this otherwise purchasing this otherwise worthless piece of digital memorabilia. I, I got to say, I thought the images, first off, I, th- I thought they were funny. I mean, very funny. <laughs> but yeah. I, and, and I have to wonder, as I do with a lot of things regarding Trump, you the extent to which he gets the joke um you never know uh i i think he's in on it a little to be honest um but i don't know quite how much but they all there but if you don't get the joke the the images are sort of they remind me of the way vladimir putin likes to have himself photographed or yeah or action jesus you know the action jesus like you can buy figurines of jesus like playing baseball and stuff i mean i actually couldn't decide if it was like a timeshare con you know like you come look at this timeshare but then there's all this other stuff they're going to try to sell you or if he's actually entered the qvc stage of his post-presidency where he's just hawking anything he can hawk because he wants to somehow stay in on people's radar but either way there i mean look steve bannon was like i just can't with this i mean if even steve bannon is going what the hell is this about then you've probably reached some sort of nader in your (laughs) trajectory in the mad libs of our culture in in playing mad lib with our culture we have the we have nft right which is basically like a hot term from a year 18 months ago and then we had the ai panic last week right there's a huge ai panic last week that had two that had two faces one was the bot that could write your school paper or the bot that could, you know, you plug in a couple of things and it writes an essay for you. And the other was the AI that could essentially Photoshop you into your picture into different settings, right? So there was like the AI that was how you would look over the course of history. You know, if you were in the 18th century, if you were a caveman, if you were a cowboy, So Trump, it seems to me, or the Trump people or whoever got this idea, was mad-libbing NFTs and AI pictures. And it was like, if we do AI pictures of Trump, we can turn them into an NFT and then sell them to these morons who have given Trump, who gave Trump $150 million in campaign donations this year of which he spent a 10th and God knows what he's going to do with the rest of it, out raising the entire Republican party. Remember the Republican party, we keep talking about, Oh, Ronna McDaniel, why is she going to be chairman again? It's not the blah, blah, blah. The Republican party is barely in existence any longer in part because of the competition for fundraising dollars that is represented by Trump personally, who sends out those emails every day and gets people to send him all this money that he then doesn't use to get people elected or even to push issues. He just husbands it. And I guess maybe he'll keep it for his 2024 election bid or not. Or maybe he's waiting until such time. Maybe there's some kind of time limit in which, as with a lot of soft money, he can kind of steal it. He can kind of take it, use it for his own personal purposes. We don't even know what that means, which is true of a lot of campaign funds, but I don't don't know what the legal story is with this money. So that's why I say I think there's some kind of weird, weird game going on here where, uh, you know, people are, you know, it's like um, uh, when you make the uh, breakdancing movie, uh, Breakin', Electric Boogaloo is breaking too was the sequel. And then you got to make a third sequel and you do Breaking and The Exorcist. And then the breakdancing woman is then possessed by the devil. So this is the NFT mixed with the AI photograph in order to create a Trump marketing sequel. Because he's got nothing to sell right now except his presidential candidacy. And guess what? I know he declared maybe he's not going to run. I'm back to the maybe he's not going to run. Well, he is running. So he's he would running. have to unrun. You'd have to drop right. out. You would have to drop out. But I'm just saying, like, he's not going to drop out because being in means that he can sell a lot of crap 
to people. But if this is where his heart is, which is like, hey, let me market, you know, the it's like Trump steaks without a steak. It's like, let me market the NFT of a steak and then you can have the steak. You don't even have to eat the steak. Like, it's just the other direct marketing, you know, scheme. So maybe this entire re-election is a direct marketing scheme and he's like going to drop out in October, November. Well, that was always the story about his initial presidential run, right? It was just a way to get attention because he wanted to launch Trump TV, his own network, where he would, you know, do programming and stuff. And then, oopsie, he actually won the presidency and had to had to try to try to be president. But I, I mean, this strikes me as a guy who's surrounded by Z-list advisors, all of whom are about two years out of date in terms of what's happening or cool or, or things political candidates can do to get attention. And they're like, hey, we could we should do these NFTs. The kids really love these these days. And he was like, let's do it. And, you know, I'll look amazing like a superhero. I mean, it just seems so, so amateur. It's just really, really amateur. I, but it seems so amateur that I, I honestly have to I don't think we can entirely discount that there's a, a an intentionally absurdist Right. aspect of uh, you're yeah no given given yeah it's a possibility so like, i don't know why end. i don't know for what <laughs> yeah. to what end yeah. i mean but <laughs> yeah yeah he's 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 jean arp or hans arp or whatever like, he's the original dadaist like this is <laughs> yes performance art of a very high level if it's performance art it's, you know warholian like or banksy something. combined yeah. with warhol combined with the yippies i i don't know i mean it's it's you you kind of want it to be performance art because again turning would... my brain into a dolly painting though it's like melting it. But that would that would at least suggest that there was a kind of governing intelligence and and kind of purposeful plan to his actions, which of course is the was the entire source material of the American greatness intellectual movement of the last six years which was an effort to say ah you see there is a governing set of ideas <laughs> transformational revolutionary world-changing ideas he's not going to articulate them so that's left to us to articulate here's what they are and it's like nah really it's about nfts it's really about you know looking like a superhero and making fun of corinne brown for her hats and that sort of thing it's not about you know, how we're going to project power in the future and not have these long-term alliances, make sure that our allies pay their fair share. And, uh, uh, you know, this is the way you war against woke and you defeat them the way they try to defeat us. And it's like, nah, really, it's just another grift. It's another direct you marketing think grift. Those people who are invested intellectually in that project would realize that they've hitched their wagon to a, a vehicle that isn't going to advance their, their personal interests. I mean, this comes... As a lot of people well, then on, they need on Trump's vehicle. side, well, they, yeah, well, unfortunately, it's <laughs> part of the problem is is it's not just the messaging; it's the message. Um, that's way you, you have bad messengers because they're attracted to a bad message. But that's that's something they have to confront on their own. Um, this comes at a time when a lot of Trump's allies have been saying now publicly that they don't know what he's doing, that he doesn't seem to have his heart in it. He's not doing what he loves. He loves doing rallies. He loves doing events. He loves being a presidential candidate and soaking in the adoration of the of the people who are attracted to his movement. And he's not doing it. And I haven't heard a convincing explanation as to why. Oh, well, I uh, so let me read to you from I'm sorry, I got to pull it up here. Uh, I got this through Mark Halperin's uh, Wide World of News email this morning. Um, and uh Again, he expresses bafflement at what Trump is up to. But then the Wall Street Journal apparently has a piece this morning, which I haven't seen, but I'm now going to read to you from the excerpt from Mark's um, email. Uh, While Mr. Trump has kept a lower public profile since the announcement, his advisors have been developing a strategy that will put him on the campaign trail early next year. Oh, so I read that. I think, ah, so he's going to have rallies, right? Rather than staging signature large-scale rallies, the plan calls for Mr. Trump to tour key states and conduct smaller policy events 
focusing on crime, border security, foreign policy, big tech, and the economy, according to people involved in the preparation. Rallies would resume later in the year. Advisors said it was never the plan to do such events early on. The goal of the policy events, these people said, is to remind voters of the ideas Mr. Trump advanced during his time of office, which remain popular among Republicans, even if his personal style isn't. Mr. Trump this week recorded several videos, including one outlining what he would do if elected. A campaign website is scheduled to be launched next week. He is also planning to do more interviews with a mix of mainstream outlets and conservative ones. This so Trump is me. going to spend six months having issue-based policy roundtables. Who who are these advisors? What kind of nonsense is this? Are He's using the AI, me? John. The AI. No, but I mean, are, you, right. are you kidding me? He'll go for 10 minutes and then he'll go, right. well, you know, I was very unfairly treated. You know, in Maricopa <laughs> County, there was a there was a homeless Venezuelan communist who was spitting into the voting machine and magically making all the votes go to Biden. I mean, this reminds me that yesterday he opens his mouth. He has a noun, a verb. And I, I was very unfairly treated. Twenty uh, the, the NFTs came out yesterday at the same time that he revealed this to the to a thud revealed his disinformation policy like he actually had like a policy announcement yesterday that nobody paid attention to is about like his particular preferences about how the government would approach disinformation and information related uh uh, you know the warnings categories that they're trying to create here and you know who cares but it was a policy announcement and just nobody noticed it because it was accompanied with this big sideshow spectacle well, and he also has no foil right now, right? He's filling all this time. He's the only declared candidate for the Republican primary in 2024. He's filling all, he, maybe he thinks I'm going to, I'm going to dominate, you know, the headlines with these policy for or whatever he thinks he's doing. But in fact, very little of it is reaching anyone except uh, diehard Trump supporters, I assume. And there's still a lot of those. And we shouldn't discount the idea that a lot of those people still think that on the whole, he was a good president, even if we don't agree with that. We should we should consider that that those are the loyalties maybe he's trying to really capture and nail down now before other people declare. And those loyalties, because these people are, are you know, they're not all rubes. A lot of them were like Trump because of the strength he projected and the challenges he did to the elite, et cetera, et cetera. If another candidate hit, presses those buttons for them, I think Trump's savvy enough to know they're going to migrate, whether it's DeSantis or someone else. So he's trying to lock him in with this, you know, with all this stuff. But I, I can't imagine that. I mean, even the media is not paying all that much attention to the policy stuff. He's well, but I just want to say small policy events, if he could do them, I don't think would be a bad idea. Yeah, because, no, because right. everyone knows the sideshow and everyone's sick of the sideshow. The the knock on Trump now is that, hey, there's this guy, DeSantis, who they kind of feel has, you know, something of your fighting spirit, but who actually knows policy and can get things done. So if he could try to make inroads there, that wouldn't be the dumbest thing. He just, as John says, can't do it. Can't do it. It's too undisciplined. I mean, but yeah. why did you I even mean, announce in November if you weren't going to get on get on the trail until 2023 like everybody else? I mean, obviously, the, the idea was to freeze that the Trump, field and knock everybody out of the field, and that didn't work. Because the idea that Trump has a long-term plan for anything is the is the mistake here. And I don't say this hostily, however hostile I may be to Trump. This is Trump. Like someone, now I'm going to say, someone who was close to Trump, whom I know, said, told me, been involved with him, said he thinks... He thinks about the next 15 minutes. He doesn't think about the next 15 months or the next 15 years. Except when he signs a prenup, but that's, you know. <laughs> but that's why that's why he lies so much, is that is that situationally, a lot of us, you know, we twist ourselves into pretzels to make sure that what we say today conforms with what we might have said, you know, three years ago or something like that. And he he solves the problem that is in front of him with whatever means he has to hand the idea that he sat down and said, okay, I'm going to declare now early in order to push people out of the race. Then I'm going to have some policy briefings and, you know, we're going to do substantive stuff in early 2023. And then when the summer rolls around, we can get big crowds. Then we'll start the big rallies in, you know, the places where we can do that. And, you know, by then, then there'll probably be a debate in the fall and there'll be eight or nine of us and I'll do this and I'll do that. He doesn't think that way. 
He is the opposite of a strategic thinker. That's his strength. His strength is as an improviser, you know, he's not, you know, he doesn't go and he doesn't, you know, memorize Hamlet. He improvises Hamlet. At any given moment, he has these two ways to go and he improvises. That's that's his that's his game. And so here someone says, you know, we could make $10 million this week if we do NFTs of you in the, you know, look here, look what I did. I went to the AI bot with the with the that takes your photograph and and puts you in these various guises. Isn't this hilarious? He's like, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And they're like, let's sell it. And he's like, great. Like, uh, aren't you running? For- no, we're selling it. But you're running for print. No, it's fine. Whatever. Get out of here. You know, I mean, the f- <laughs> so, so, um, if I'm DeSantis, I'm feeling pretty good today, is, is what I'm saying. Like, we keep thinking that Trump is playing four dimensional chess, and then it turns out that he's playing checkers, and now he's just playing 52 pickup. You know, he's not playing anything. There's no game. He doesn't have a game. It's it's just... (laughs) I mean, this is a game. No, but you know what I mean. A game meaning that there are rules and you follow the rules and then you win, right? That's that's a game. I mean, he's playing... There's a a great, uh, very uh, amusing, touching book and movie about baseball called Bang the Drum Slowly by Mark Harris. And it's about it's about baseball players, but before the age when all baseball players were rich from their baseball contracts, and they would go around the country, and they would get people to sit down after a game in the hotel and play cards with them, and they would play a game called Teg War, which was the exciting game without any rules. And these people would be starstruck, starry-eyed, playing with the with the players on the New York Mammoths, which was the name of the team. And they just made up rules as they were playing the card game and then took the person's money. It was like, well, of course, that's a that's a four of a that's a four of a stretch. Uh that what an amazing hand you have there. And then, you know, just take the guy's money. Since he said he knew what the game was, he understood the rules of tech war, it would be too humiliating to say, wait, I don't understand how you just won that hand. That's Trump. He's playing tech war. And uh, everybody in 2015, 2016 thought that they were all, they it was a rules-based game and they were therefore going to play it with this. I mean, you know, make him, I would, I wouldn't attack him, but I would attack Rubio. And then I could, then when Rubio's people let that, I would get them. And then they would, Trump's voters would migrate to me when Trump faded. It was like, there are no rules. We're not playing by any rules here. He is not playing by any rules. Whoever it was who told the Wall Street Journal that he is going to have these briefings, yeah, he'll have one. And then he won't have any more. Or he won't even have the one. Or he'll say, why aren't we having, or it'll be two hours more, he's like, why aren't we having a rally? (laughs) No. Okay, uh, let's take a break and hear from our friends at FIRE. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights, Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Okay, so that was event number one, right? The morning NFT release. And then in the evening, six journalists have their accounts on Twitter suspended, which, by the way, I believe was covered with slightly slightly more heat than the invasion of Ukraine. I think there were roughly 575 million the stakes tweets. Stakes are very high here, John. Very, very, very high. high yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Because now Donny O'Sullivan is now a martyr. I don't even know who that guy is. Some guy works for CNN. He's now a martyr to free speech. So they're suspended. They don't know why. So join the club of everybody who got suspended and didn't know why they got suspended over the last 12, 13 years. Uh, then Elon Musk says they were suspended for doxing. 
he got freaked out yesterday because somehow a car in which one of his children was driving was spotted or something happened that made him think that there were people watching him and his kids in real time, not just the the famous Musk jet Twitter account that found his call letters of his private plane and said where he was flying, but there was something about a, a, one of his kids and he like lost it. Okay. Uh, so you would think that the world has come to an end because well, Elon and he Musk... said, so what's interesting is he did, he did respond online to some of the, the, the the sort of oh you, look you're you're actually a free speech hypocrite he says look criticizing me all day long is totally fine but doxing my real time location and endangering my family is not um, so he's trying to create a distinction here that that so far really hasn't existed I mean this this kind of tracking of people's private jets uh, you know real time I mean doxing certainly is it's actually been a journalistic tool for some people who write for the Washington Post uh, such as Taylor Lawrence I mean this exposure of one's uh, uh, enemies or one's uh, target is has been going on on Twitter for a long time I mean JK Rowling was was uh, famously her her home address was posted online um, and spread around Twitter by a bunch of trans activists who wanted to you know to sort of make her feel fear so he has has experienced this fear personally he's he's you know responded um but here's the thing he does actually need to show what the policy is and whether it's being consistently but there is no policy and as exactly. much as i want to exactly. as much as i want everybody to indulge the hypocrisy here and the the disparity of the There's reaction no it's it's really delicious and everybody's getting their just desserts and we should really enjoy that nevertheless <clears throat> what was there's a lot of these reporters who were suspended insofar as we can even tell why they were targeted they were reporting on uh what was being said on uh, in on police departments on police scanners in private in, in public information right. that is available to you online um and none of that was very well explained all of that is what's conventionally called reporting people who have 24 hours seven you know security understand what's available online and what's you know what what are the real risks and what you should keep an, keep an eye on this is just sort of part of the game when you reach this level of public exposure and, and wealth um whether that's good or not is just not is immaterial to this conversation this is just how journalism works and by targeting these people who are very specifically covering elon musk it's it's more arbitrary than the ancien regime it's more punitive um maybe that's exactly what people who are experiencing this want but you got to realize you're being used. Batya Anger Sargon had a very interesting observation yesterday where she says, look, if this was a if Elon Musk was a, a psychological operation to get the right to surrender the moral high ground on free speech, you wouldn't be able to craft it any better in, in Moscow. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant ploy and it's working effectively. If you want to be consistent about this, and I think we all should, you should say that whatever this was, was as bad, maybe even worse than what everybody was up in arms about deliberately and and, and should have been up in arms about uh, for under the the regime of the, the previous Twitter owners, Jack's Jack's regime. I don't agree. I don't. I don't. I. I mean, look. I was never someone who was thoroughly outraged by the the shadow banning of conservatives either. I only. I mostly cared that that Twitter lied about it and that journalists lied about it to, to cover for for Twitter shadow shadow banning. Um. Monk strikes me as uh, the kind of guy who's going to talk about this. He sort of has already, and uh, we'll sort of incorporate this into some sort of tweet storm, tweet poll dialogue ab about policy. Post hoc. Um, yep. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's bet that's that is better than what happened before, which was there was there was nothing. It was all everything was happening behind the scenes. Um, well, post hoc is by definition a lie. But wow. no, you know what pissed them off? You know why they're angry, the journalists? Because he went on Twitter spaces, had this discussion with them. And you know what he said to them? He said, everyone's going to be treated the same. You're not special because you're a journalist. You're a citizen. You dox, you get suspended. You're not special because you're a but journalist. That is the phrase. <laughs> he is treating them special. Well, no, I, I, he is I mean, applying I a unique standard to them. Well, we'll see, right? Like this, yeah, if he could, I, if okay. he doxes, if and other may, people who dox, I'm sure a lot of people who who resent the the previous double standard are like, well, good. There's a double standard that favors me. It's still a double standard. It's still arbitrary. It's it's still 
bad. It's exactly what you said it shouldn't be. Well, not if he enforces it across the board at Twitter. Anyone right. who doxes gets pulled or suspended. Like if that's the new standard and he defines what doxing is, then that's not hypocritical. That's the new standard under the new ownership. If the standard yeah, is reporting on, on what, what's going on in police scanners, then we're criminalizing journalism. Okay. Criminalizing. There's wait, 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 criminal wait, 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 here. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. And now I got I to I I jump in here. He owns this place. He spent $50 billion owning it. He can throw anybody off he wants. He can suspend anybody he wants. You don't like it? Go start Post. Go start Mastodon. They're already doing that. They're saying Twitter's going to die. This is a video game. This whole service is a video game. It is not... We've already had this conversation. It's not a public square. It's not the global town hall. It's an elite video game. And these guys pissed off the owner who said you can't play for a week. You know what? Go cry into your beer. Every single one of those people has access to a printing press. They're not they're not libs of TikTok who doesn't exist without Twitter. Because Libs of TikTok is an orthodox woman living somewhere who doesn't work for a media organization. Now, I don't care if she gets banned either, by the way. it's That's not my concern. I quit Twitter. I read Twitter, but I quit posting on Twitter because it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible, soul-sucking, horrible thing. And that was almost four years ago, and I haven't regretted a day in which I haven't been off the service. But this is not about free speech. You do not have the right to free speech in somebody else's sandbox. People don't have the right to publish a commentary when they write me a letter to the editor complaining about what something in the magazine. They do not have the right. I get to pick and choose. Abe and I get to pick and choose what letters we publish, not even what articles we publish. Every single word that appears in commentary on the website of commentary is something that I have to say I want to have put in there. And I'm hired by a board and they they appoint me and I hire you guys and you work for me and I work for them. And there's a whole system of responsibility. But people do not have access to our pages or our website or this podcast or anything like that. And that is absolutely true of Twitter. And this madness of associating freedom of speech with a sandbox that a guy wildly overspent and is probably going to go broke owning is deranged. They do not have the right to be on Twitter. In fact, they're all stupid for being on Twitter because they're supplying content to this billionaire that they hate so much for free. They're providing him with the material that he is selling to other people. So don't do it. Stop doing it. You're only doing it because you're addicted to it. <laughs> you don't have to do it. doesn't help. Maybe well, and it I, helped once, but it and, doesn't help you anymore. So do it or don't do it. But shut the hell up about what you're whining and all of your guild, everybody in the goddamn press guild, whining about other people not having access to Twitter. So throw open the Washington Post pages to every single person on the planet Earth. You know why? They did. They called it post everything. They didn't. <laughs> they, they they published a lot of people who didn't deserve to be published. That's a whole under other the headline, issue. Under the banner of post everything. Right. It was literally post what the, medic. The, it was, that was the vertical. Right. Well, but look, can I just say one word about the but the specifics here um, where I do agree? Well, I don't know if I agree with Musk, but doxing is a particular kind of thing. And if you think that there aren't I mean, if you I and I unfortunately know people who've experienced this, who've had to get restraining orders against people. Online stalking is a serious problem. If you think about there are apps you can have to track other people, they're all you know you can air tag someone's car. They don't realize that you're tracking them. There's a lot of there are a lot of nefarious, uh, nefariously motivated people who can use technology right now to do damage to another individual or to you know uh, survey them in a way that I think our traditional notions of privacy um, we become alarmed about. However. I the this idea that the thing that really gets me about the journalists complaining about Musk is that they're of course like we're not doxing we're talking about accountability here we're holding the powerful accountable like 
bullshit. Like you never held them accountable when when they were getting rid of people you didn't like on this platform that you all, as you say, John, is their is their playground sandbox, whatever. Now suddenly they're about holding people accountable. So that's where the the hypocrisy is a little too much. I would love to see some consistency across all the big tech companies about the dangers of some of their technologies with regard to surveillance and stalking, doxing, all this stuff. That's a great conversation that we should be having. Um, talk to a victim of domestic violence about that. They will have a lot to say about things we could do to make make the world a safer place um, in our in our digital universe here. But that's not what this is really about. So they're kind of hiding behind. Um, both, oh, journalistic accountability, oh, he said free speech, he doesn't mean it. They're completely disingenuous. Now, whether or not he's disingenuous, I think, remains to be seen, because if he enforces this policy consistently, we can what say policy? he meant it. Articulate the policy. Well, he has to articulate no the doxing. policy. I, I, no yeah, doxing. No it's doxing. doxing. It's not doxing to report on what police are talking about. Yes, I, I it don't is. agree at all. I don't that's, agree that's at all. Absolutely, don't that's, that's, I, no, it's publicly available a... information that he doesn't have to publish. Right. Every that's not newspaper doxing. Honor. It is if you use it to dox someone. Yeah, some people use that scanner yeah. info. Wait, to what go is to doxing? Define doxing now. The exposure uh, of someone's address or personal contact information right. in a public forum. Right. And Correct. tracking them in real time so that you can actually locate that person in real time, um, potentially to cause them. Right. As far as I understand it, that's not what Donnie was up to. It's the only the only thing that caught him in this dragnet. Who knows why? I don't exactly, care. Exactly. Exactly. When nobody know. knows. But that is my point. But then if anybody was that? actually really, really cared about the double standard that was being applied to conservatives. And again, I can't be moved to care about any of this. But if we really did and wanted to have a united, consistent position on what what tech companies should be doing and how they should be transparent about it and above board about it so that you could actually moderate your behavior and comply with the rules, then they would be upset by this. Although, but, but the but, shade and Freud's just too good. But I, I, I well, it is it is fantastic. But I have to say, <laughs> I don't think it's at all impossible that Musk, Musk will come out and say, all right, so I got it a little wrong. Uh, we're, I'm going to uh, maybe I, I I I suspended some accounts that, that I shouldn't have suspended. But, you know, this is a work in progress and I'm working it out. And uh, yeah, I'm going to crack down on doxing. And it's not crazy that I started with people who are doxing me. Um and, He'll do a and, Twitter poll about it, probably. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He did. Oh, he did? Of course. He had a Twitter poll about how long he should uh, he, the people should stay suspended. So I, I think I agree with Christine. I think we'll see. I mean, again, so he will or he won't. So get off Twitter. You jerks. And by the way, a, a free speech absolutist would submit their principles to a poll. It's not free speech. Exactly. Because this is not this is all BS. This is all a smokescreen. It's all ad hoc, just designed to retroactively justify whatever you want to do, which is exactly yeah, what they said the last Twitter did. House. It's his house. And that's exactly you what people who defended the last you iteration say your of wife Twitter is said. Ugly, and then he's like, get out of my house. Like, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The difference, though, no. It's all because no, but, everybody but, but, on wait. Twitter is addicted to Twitter. But, and, but they, the and they, yeah. But the difference here is that the executives at Twitter, the people who ran these programs and did on a whim get rid of them, lied to Congress, lied to users right. and lied to the public about what they were and, doing. So if he doesn't lie, that is a distinction here. That is. A and difference. the company was publicly traded. Right. And it was an entirely different creature. Now, it is not a publicly traded company. It does not have any fiduciary uh reporting obligations or legal reporting obligations as a publicly traded company in order to make its internal workings or its profits and losses or anything you know transparent to the world the, that that's one of the virtues of it being private if that's a virtue here's what i i want to read to you from our our old friend Nina Jankowitz you may remember her as the person who was hired to be the disinformation czar in the Biden administration until it turned out that she was a disinformation czar in another sense, which is that she practiced disinformation and therefore didn't get the job. Quote, for the record, censorship doesn't look like a scholar, meaning her, getting hired to help the government coordinate counter disinformation policy. Censorship looks like a self-absorbed, radicalized CEO silencing journalists who have reported critically about him and his company. It is not censorship to not publish people on a platform that you own. That is not what censorship is. The government Stopping people from publishing things. The government of the United States or any government in the world 
at the urging of, say, a government-sponsored disinformation panel, for example. Yes. I mean, the use of the word censorship here gives the game away. They like censorship. They want to practice and this entire liberal establishment just spent two and a half years openly advocating for censorship of people who said the things that they didn't like about COVID and the vaccines and everything like that. So they you they throw on the word censorship like it's a like like it's an evil and they themselves were all participants in this evil. I actually happen to think that censorship is not necessarily an evil and I can prove it by the simple thought experiment which is we censor child porn. End of discussion. Censorship is not is not you know a, censorship is not a negative necessarily. There are all kinds of things that we censor. And that government censors or censorship may be the wrong term because there are things that we make illegal that that end up being outside the bounds of free speech is another way of putting it. But you could call that censorship. You are still suppressing speech. You're still suppressing things that say, you know, I should be able to have sex with an eight year old or here's a picture of an eight year old that really makes me hot or whatever. You know, you can't do that. You'll go to jail. So we do allow everybody allows censorship that. A private company doesn't every every single institution that publishes anything practices censorship by definition because it doesn't publish other things. There's there's one other little uh, fact we should add to the discussion, particularly of Musk and his plane. Um, he participates in a program that the FAA allows uh, to try to keep his planes movements private for security reasons. Right. There's there's a there's a privacy program. Um, it makes your plane identification private so that it's harder to track a lot of, you know, muckety mucks use this so that people can't actually try to find them in real time. So he was already doing the thing to try to protect his privacy there. Now, you can argue about whether he should be allowed to do that. But like if he owns the plane, he could, this program is available to him. Why not? So it is in, in that sense. I think that's why he felt it was a kind of doxing because they were going around what was the only available thing for him to keep that information private and then posting it so that they could track him in real time. I mean, it's a small detail, but I think it actually matters in terms of how, if we, if Noah's right, if we need to come up with a definition of doxing and transparent rules for this, if he's going to want to take the moral high ground. But that is actually, I think, evidence that he had thought through the risks uh, of a lot of this stuff already and that this was this was clearly a go around of, of the only but by the way, that is available. We don't have to do anything. Either what he does is going to destroy Twitter or help Twitter or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like they can whine and bitch and moan all they want. You know, we are not involved in the decision making process. This is not a public forum. It is not whether or not he has polls or he doesn't have polls. He owns this. That's all there is. He owns it and that's it. And he can do whatever he wants with it. And if you don't like it, you go somewhere else and maybe he'll destroy it. And you know what? That would be fantastic. I mean, the, I, I hate to American say it, but soul. that is precisely the argument that was that produced Truth Social, that produced Gab. Uh, a whole lot of you know journalists who rallied, you know, uh, rallied around this idea that you could kick off people who were on the right because they were dangerous because they were destabilizing society because they were promoting violence what have you and if you complained about it go build your own social media network and that's what they did and that's what they're doing with mastodon what have you and it's all fine but it's precisely the same argument and i can't i'm not because i don't care argument. about any of this i can't abandon the principle that we should have a unique a unit a one consistent standard here about how these companies should conduct themselves and what role they play in society if I come into your house, no, if I come into your house and I say, it's not my house. You know, it is your house. It's my it's house. If house. I invite everybody in and say, say whatever you want in this house, and I'll arbitrarily kick you out if I don't like what you're saying. I've yeah. never done that. I know you haven't. I do that could. to mouthy teenagers all the time, but so that's a difference between can <laughs> and should is exactly the argument the argument that the right has been having for years. Now the shoe is exactly on the other foot, and they're behaving exactly like the people they criticized for years. I don't Forgive think the me right, if I, I notice. The right is and an say issue you both here. look like idiots. The right is not an issue here. What happened yesterday? This is Elon Musk versus journalists that he that he suspended from his account, from his from his service. Where's the right? I don't understand. What are you yelling about the right for? Every literally everybody who's cheering for this. Have you not noticed? Who, 
No. You know why I haven't noticed? Because I haven't been on Twitter <laughs> to, in the last 12, 14 hours. And you need to get off it, too, because your brain is living I'm inside the only one thinking clearly. Ecosystem. Hey, in defense of Noah. No, absolutely not. I will not allow that to stand. That's nonsense. Okay. This is not true. This is these people are behaving exactly like the people they were criticizing forever. And it's detracting from their public from the from uh, the, the arguments that they've been making, which were right for in years. Of Noah. They're sacrificing their okay. own position. Good. I am on the right and I'm cheering it. I, I okay. say suspend away. I don't care. Okay. Anyway, this is why this is an interesting comment. Now it's like we need feisty to get, Friday now, here now, today. I know. Now when, <laughs> now after I talked to you about Bull and Brand Sheets, we gotta go to why this is sociologically important and close the podcast with that. But before we do, this is you know, we're the beginning of a long day. It's the fifteenth of December. You know, we got we got the holidays coming up imminently in you know, Hanukkah and ten days in Christmas. And after long days of decorating, hosting, celebrating, nothing feels better than a good night's sleep and buttery soft sheets. And the signature hem sheet set from Bowl and Branch is made from the finest 100% organic cotton you'll ever feel for a luxurious experience you'll enjoy for years to come. Look, Bowl and Branch products are made differently so you can sleep better at night. Finest 100% organic cotton on earth free from toxins, pesticides, and harsh chemicals, made by artisans, designs and colors for every bedroom style and mattress size, all-season sheets which have an unmatched softness to start and get softer with every single wash, and Bowen Branch gives you a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all orders. Their signature sheets come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box if you want to provide your loved ones with a really interesting and unexpected holiday gift. They will look as special as they feel, and it creates an unboxing experience they'll never forget. So bring them a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowen Branch Bedding. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code commentary at B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. That's bowlandbranch.com, promo code commentary. Okay, Abe and Noah, you both uh, have expressed the view that there is something important going on with the emergence of Elon Musk as the person who is most discussed in in America, I, I guess, pretty much over the last month uh, compared to anybody else. Um, and it then dovetails or connects with the conversation we had at the beginning of the show about Trump and the NFTs. So which, who, which of you wants to go first? Well, I, uh. I can jump in and just say that, yeah, we saw in a single day Trump, who was the previous public enemy number one he making good on his big announcement um released a absurdist art con uh and everyone thought he would look like a clown no one particularly cared and then you have musk who seems to have um threatened the very foundations of the west itself with his with his moves uh, to suspend certain Twitter accounts. So he has completely taken the place. Musk has completely taken the place um, in the public imagination as enemy number one, um, which I think is a good thing because anything that 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 puts Trump somewhere on the outskirts of of the political discussion and uh, our culture is good. Anything that further strands him out in the wilderness. Well, it's good insofar as he's constitutionally barred from running for president. <clears throat> but I noticed this a couple of weeks ago, and David Axelrod was talking about Elon Musk being afraid of sunlight like all other authoritarians. And the only way that made sense, that sentence made sense, is if you substituted Trump for Musk. And you see that in the Atlantic writers, they're like, oh, his friends, and he's learned these tricks from his friends in Russia. It's like a just, it's just an, a Mad Libs game <laughs> where they've taken out Trump and substituted Musk. Um, But look, Let's use other examples from popular culture. When something is the focus of all attention, in the middle of the time that something is the focus of all attention, you cannot imagine a time in which it is not. It's like if you're really sick, if you have like an incredibly sore throat, right? And you're like in pain from the sore throat. And it's like the third day and you're like, I forgot what it was like to not have a sore throat. I don't remember what it feels like to not be in pain or something like that, right? So that's the negative. The positive is like, my God, every Marvel movie comes out and it's a blockbuster. 
all anybody wants to do is see Marvel movies. If you slap the Marvel Studios logo on, you know, on a, a, a wall drive, a paint drying, it would make $2 billion. Everybody loves Marvel. Marvel, 12, 10, 12 years. There's never been anything like Marvel. And then they make two or three bad movies, and suddenly it's like, I don't know. Marvel is, you know, ooh, they're really having trouble. The Eternals is really bad. I don't know. Maybe we're moving on. Trump, I think, is now in this position, which is, yeah, like, if Trump stages a good run for the presidency that captures and commands the attention the way he is able to do so and uh seems to catch lightning in a bottle by by relating in some sense to the concerns and fears and stuff of americans who feel like they are not represented and discussed appropriately or their fears and concerns are not discussed appropriately or adequately in the common conversation he can come back like he has all the tools and trappings for coming back or Trump is now the Trump is Marvel releasing the Eternals and everyone but he, goes. You know no, what? Trump, this, Trump, this is Trump not thinks good. he's no, Trump thinks he's hot Thor, but Trump is actually dissipated couch potato Thor. But he still sees himself as hot Thor. But the rest of the country is like, I don't know Thor. I mean, you are Chris Hemsworth. You're still kind of hot, but yeah, yeah. Got, like so, he's he's yeah. not hot Thor anymore. Yeah. But it's like I've seen all the Marvel Marvel movies. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, we, well, we both have teenagers, so we've seen them all. Uh, Aben, Aben, no, you've seen them all, right? Have you seen them all? Probably. Okay. Anyway, I'm just trying to come up with a proper, appropriate analogy. When things go cold, culturally, when something has been hot for a long time, it's you can't imagine it going cold. And then it goes cold, and then it's like, well, of course it's cold. You know, it's like, I mean, you know. Happy Days is, you know, like everybody watches every episode of Happy Days and then you get to the seventh season and suddenly it's like 40th in the ratings. It's like, well, it's, a, you know, Happy Day, I don't know. It's kind of jumped the shark there a couple of seasons ago. I mean, so, you know, and when that happens to something that requires white hot heatedness, it requires it. I mean, maybe the better is... example is social media generally, which fits with this conversation. I okay. mean, we just yeah. we just had an attempt by Congress to uh, regulate journalism in part because it relied so heavily on the Facebook model and Facebook needed to be broken up because it's this most incredibly powerful company. And there was, this, you know, this is the zombie idea that's been with us <clears throat> now since 2018, which doesn't fit our, our lived experience. You look outside and you see what's happening to Facebook and it is destroying itself. It right. is murdering itself slowly. So you're but referring to the, the way destruction I think of the market. Explain, everybody so lost you... their faith in the market. And the market somehow always reminds us that it's a very dynamic thing that creates it as well as destroys. But you're referring to the journalism. What the what was it called again? The thing that was in the National Defense Authorization. Yeah, it was like funding journalism. And yeah, it was yeah. It was a giveaway. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Pork. idea was well, it wasn't a giveaway. Was... No, it was much worse than that. Yeah. It was called the um Sorry, I'm looking this up. Journalism Competition and Pre Preservation Act, which does exactly the opposite of what yeah. it's designed to do. Uh, it's supposed to prop up local journalist outfits by making tech companies pay them. Literally, tech companies would have to fund with their largesse um, local media outlets for the privilege of hosting the content that they produce on their on mm -hmm. their social media networks. This was a, a solution to a problem that hasn't really been the problem it was when this legislation was crafted, constitutionally dubious as it is. And certainly uh, an assault on the social compact. Right. Um, but yeah, it was designed to 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 address the problem of Facebook before it was Meta. Meta doesn't need addressing. Yeah. Maybe Facebook but, did. By the but way, it doesn't anymore. Okay, so can I? I'm going to dilate on this for 90 seconds, and I want to go back to Musk and what this whole thing about journalism being destroyed by Facebook is the result of the fact that in 2014, 2015. Facebook let it be known to the world of journalism that they had discovered that there was a great deal more engagement, that they got their audiences to engage a great deal more when there was video. And they were therefore pivoting to video. They were going to privilege videos posted on Facebook over other forms of content. And they wanted to let journalists, journalistic organizations, everybody know that this was the case in case journalistic organizations wanted to continue to maximize their audience engagement on Facebook, video would be the way to go about it. Now, we have a tiny 
little product in commentary relative to other products. You know, about 30,000 subscribers, small, small scale, not, you know, not 6 million like the New York Times. Um, so what we do isn't going to make that much different. But guess who didn't p pivot to video? We didn't. Commentary didn't. Why? Well, when this happened, I was about 56, 57 years old. I had been in the media for 35 years working in relatively senior positions at various organizations. And one of the things that I learned over time, ruefully, because I had been in these management positions quite, quite young and saw mistakes being made, was that every 18 months, something came along where somebody said, we need to shift course because the world is changing and we need to do a lot of direct mail or we need to have a controlled circulation free publication that's like television. We'll send out a million copies every week of a magazine and then we can sell advertising against what we what we are distributing for free, like a like a supermarket shopper or, again, like a television network or something like that. Or we need to do this or we need to do that. We, and And business sides of publications then press the editorial sides to do things in order to meet this hot new idea. Stuff was done. People were fired. New people were hired. And it made no difference or it was actually destructive of the project. So the one thing I learned over time was don't change. <laughs> don't change your product if people like it. Maybe have, maybe you could make it a lot more successful, but you can certainly make it a lot less successful. Maybe you got a 10% chance of like hitting the sweet spot and turning into the hottest thing in the world, or you go out of business. These It's more likely that you'll go out of business than that you'll hit the sweet spot. And so we didn't do it. A lot of people did it, and a lot of very powerful organizations. And guess what? It was an enormous blunder. Publications, meaning print things that produce things for people to read, suddenly started making lousy videos because Facebook told them that this was the way to make money. And, you know, it's now been seven years, you know, like, and and now, and then they want the government to step in because they were feckless and stupid and listened to the marketing arm of an organization that did not have their best interests at heart. And they do the bidding of this new master and then find that it's injurious to them. Yeah. Let them suffer the consequences because people who didn't do it have the right to profit from not having destroyed their product you know, have the right to sort of like remain in the marketplace when other people destroy their product. Like you don't get to get your, put your finger on the scale when you do it or have the government put their finger on the scale when you do it yourself. That is part and parcel of the, of the story here. Um, So I just wanted to split off and not, it's not to praise me particularly or this business decision it's like anybody could have seen this coming the minute that they said oh you're a magazine or a newspaper do video it's like oh you're a you know you're a comedian go sing opera there are things you're good at and things you're not good at there are things that are in your wheelhouse or in your dna and aren't in your dna this you don't you can't just do everything or anything it's preposterous okay so Let's go back to Musk and Twitter, because Musk, of course, is prime example of this, right? He knows how to engineer. He knows how to make cars. He knows how to sell cars. He knows how to make spaceships or sell spaceships, whatever. What he doesn't know how to do is run a, run a media company, and Twitter is a media company. So either he's doing a brilliant job or he's just improvising, trying to figure out what to do to stave off the inevitable disaster that he has walked himself into or not. But at least... I think politically, as you guys say, or like sociologically, he has taken the pole position in American culture. Now, I don't know if there's been a business figure like him since Bill Gates in the, you know, in the, in like the early nineties where Bill Gates sort of like was Ted Turner. I have Bill Gates was like Bill Gates opened kind of his mouth and said, hello, and 12 magazines put him on the cover. I don't remember that. 
Yeah. You remember it was. Ted Turner being a weird Buffalo enthusiast who had a penchant for saying the strangest things. No, but no, but he said this. Yeah, well, your analogy is right because Ted Turner was, you know, a bipolar, was sort of a bipolar <laughs> lunatic and did crazy things. But I'm just saying, like, there is a thing where nothing that Elon Musk now does is not utterly fascinating to people in every possible way. A lot of it negative, some of it positive, whatever. And Musk loves it the same way Trump loved it. Right. He he yeah. he's he he can't get enough of it and he's going to try to magnify it at every turn. And 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 he and his enemies are now locked in that same symbiotic relationship, that dynamic right. that we saw with Trump. I think in business terms, it's his only play with Twitter. Is he makes Twitter itself. A lightning rod. And maybe that can draw so much attention that he can up the ad rates because I don't know where he goes from here. You know, I don't know how he services the debt, the debt payments. You know, it's just very hard to, it's very hard to see beyond that somehow. Um, and we're talking about him too. We're talking here, here they are Trump and Trump and Musk in a locked in a, in an endless, you know, battle for our, for our attention. And then meanwhile, Joe Biden is sitting there quietly, you know, sleeping and going to Delaware for the weekend and everything like that. And then as, as Christine pointed out, our friend John Ellis, who runs the news items newsletter, uh, finds an item that says that, oh, you know what? Uh, without anybody watching, like three or four months ago, Biden uh, provided an $82 billion buyout uh, or like a uh, what would you call it? Payout. The bailout. 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 Yeah. See, I, my, I don't even can't <laughs> even speak English anymore. A bailout to the Teamsters and other and other union pension funds that were about to go belly up because they were terribly mismanaged and and mm -hmm. took on high risk investments that people advised them not to. Yeah, so let, yeah. they were bailed out, and no one knew it happened. Eighty two billion dollars, and so, taxpayers who is... don't have pensions are bailing out the people yeah, with pensions. People have, yeah. yeah. Let's just let's just point out here that this is the advantage of not being the focus of every of all attention and everything that goes on is that somehow you can be the president of the United States running, you know, running the government and have your people running the government and they can sneak in a nearly hundred billion dollar, you know, payoff to people. Uh and the news was only released publicly because Biden needed some kind of a counterweight to the, oh, he did such a terrible thing to the poor railroad workers last week or whenever that was. So there are advantages to flying under the radar. And, you know, I think that's going to be the story of 2023 is don't assume that everything that comes around and, you know, sucks up all the oxygen is going to be the, you know, sucking up all the oxygen can also lead you to blow up. So I know that wasn't true of Trump when we thought that it was the case in 2015, 2016, but that doesn't mean that we're in for an endless recapitulation of everything. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope that for those of you who, are celebrating Hanukkah on Sunday that um, your kids don't cry with disappointment at the presents that you give them. As you can see, I have a rueful history of, of this sort of thing. Uh, giving kids presents is a fool's errand, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll enjoy them. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm worried about my own kids. No, you have good plans for yours. Next going week? to a uh, friend's house where they will host me and make me laugh because excellent yeah okay and yeah no we are giving uh, something much bigger than we wanted to only because my oldest stumbled across a picture in my wife's camera reel of something she had seen in the store and was going i'm gonna get this and i said wow that's pretty cool well i guess we're gonna giving you that nice and, oops Say, I know your kids don't don't listen to the pod, but maybe Christine's do, so she can't tell me what she's. I can't. There. It's all, yeah, all. Yeah, all hush hush, very hush hush. Okay, I don't know. 
I don't even know what we're giving my kids because they're 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 sort of aging out of ever finding anything good because you know like they're too old for toys and they're too young for I don't know clever hilarious you know useful gifts <laughs> um Abe where are you going for the for your well, I've got a few Hanukkah parties and I'm and we're also hosting uh, some people over here one night so ah there you go. There you go. Okay. I'm going to eat a lot of donuts. I'm just saying right now. Okay. I hope I don't like jelly. I do not not (gasps) like jelly donuts. Hanukkah donuts. Mm. So it's my one, it's my one, uh, the one thing that uh, (laughs) I can, I I do not feel, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm restraining myself, I do not feel as though I'm, 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 I'm at a loss. I've never never (laughs) liked jelly donuts. I'll never host any one of these things because I can't imagine what it does to your stove. Just it's a lot of oil and oil everywhere. Yeah. delicious though. Idiots. Totally yeah. worth it. <laughs> you know, you can bake them. You're not supposed to bake them because you are literally supposed to cook them in oil. The oil. No, no. But uh, a baked latkes can be pretty delicious, by the way. Anyway. Heresy. Heresy. <laughs> I know. I know. Anyway, have a wonderful weekend. We'll 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 talk to you again on Monday. And for a Christina Noah, I'm John Pot Keep the candle burning. <laughs>